Hallelujah! I'm sorry, we are a bit loud in Jamaica. Could you just join me for a minute and shout a praise to our God? Hallelujah! God is good. And all the time. Amen. Amen. I have a fantastic, fantastic news for you. You want to know it? After this day, your life will never, ever be the same. And I'm not talking about you're going to be a day older. Or you might lose a few pounds, which you might. But I'm talking about that the transformation hand of God is going to be upon you today. Amen. You, You don't sound excited at all. Amen. I want to greet your wonderful pastor, Saul, and his queen and his family. Could you please put your hands together for him, please? Amen. And all the other pastors here. My leaders, Pastor Jerry, Pastor Seward, and their beautiful queen. I greet them as well in Jesus' name. And all the wonderful colleagues that are my friends here today. I love you all in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, God is, is, is amazing. He's, he's, don't it? He is. I truly believe that in this time, God is looking for people who is ready to do anything he wants him to do. Is there anybody in this church today saying, God, here I am. So the church that I pastor back in Jamaica, they've kind of lost their mind just like me. And so there's a prayer that we have been praying. And it's, Lord, kill my will and give me yours. And that's the prayer we have been praying for a couple of months now. We have been praying for a nation. And the Lord said something to me this year that just messed me up. He said, Victory Family Center Kingston is going to help churches in Jamaica this year. I'm like, God, but we're so small. What are you talking about? And we started praying and believing God. And there's something that we've been praying that is manifesting in Jamaica at this moment. Every end of month, Jamaica calls a, a day, a 24-hour prayer. So churches, something that we have been trying for years to happen, starts happening. Churches are coming together. And so there's a petition now that's gone to the prime minister. And so on the 10th of October, which this month, a few days from now, the nation is going to be on a day of fasting and prayer. Come on, give God some praise. Amen. And so I believe that God in this time is looking for people available. It doesn't matter your qualification or well-educated you are. He just wants someone who is available. Amen. So let me share a quick testimony with you because you don't, sometimes we believe we have to have this particular title for God to do something. He just wants someone who's available. Maybe you're not perfect, crooked, messed up, but you're available. Amen? And so um, I was at this church preaching and the Lord showed me a lady all the way to the back and he said to me, that lady wants a baby. And so I stopped preaching and I said, miss, the Lord said you want a baby and she started crying. She came to the altar and she testified that she marched to her husband for seven years and wasn't able to have any baby. And I did what the Lord said. I prayed with her. And then I whispered in her ears. I'd say very nice. I can't say like I said it. Go home and worship with your husband. <laughs> and so I went back to the church about three months later and someone said to me, Pastor, the sister walk has changed. And nine months later, there's a beautiful baby girl messed up the doctor's report because our God can do anything. He just wants someone who's available. There's a raster man in my area. And if you want marijuana to buy, you check him. And apparently his marijuana is pretty good because all the wealthy people come and purchase from him. And... uh, 
My wife and I were reading 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 7, messed us up. That love holds no grudge and it really messed us up. And we made a vow that we are going to channel our life upon this verse. And so we walk around our community, not with jackets and tie like I'm in, where I'm all tied today, and chains and declare, oh, my name is Pastor Link. No, there are days I'm in a slipper and a shirt, but I make sure that they see Jesus in me. And so one morning I was going to church, didn't have a car at the time, and this Rasta man, he shouted out, Pastor! And I, I, I said, what could he want at this time? Because he had cursed me out about my Jesus. And um, I told my wife, go ahead, and I stopped with him, and he said to me, Pastor, cancer is killing me. And he lifted his shirt up and showed me a part of his stomach that doctors had removed. And he said, I've woken up, sorry, it might be a bit gross, and I'm bleeding for days. And he looked around if anybody was seen. And he said, I want to try the prior thing. He wants me to pray for him. Understand that there are many Christians in my community. And that break my heart. Because I just moved there. And he chose to ask me instead of all the other Christians. Because he said, I see something inside of you. I prayed with him. Didn't shout. Do not scream. I just prayed the word of God by his stripes you are healed. And I reassured him that God is going to heal him. And we talked about that yesterday. And the next day, I didn't see him. He saw me. He said, Pastor! The thing worked. <laughs> and so, on Monday, the following day, I was in his house. Beside his marijuana plant, teaching him the word of God. And today he testifies in the community that Jesus is real. Amen. God can use you. Make yourself available. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. Thanks. Give him my hand. Amen. So awesome. I know you think I have an accent, but I love Jamaicas better than Kenya. Yeah, so... How many are in it for the long haul? You don't care. Amen. Amen. It's so good. I, and, I, and I want us to get to the word this morning. Um, um, I know um, I have a lot to say, but I do believe the Lord has a word for us. And today it's my privilege to, to, uh, to, to invite our speaker today. Uh, this man means a lot to me. Uh, he's many things. He represents a friend, a father, uh, a mentor. Um, but also, you know, I, I've walked in, in my walk uh, with, uh, as a believer and also as um, in ministry. You meet all sorts of people in ministry. But uh, here's a man who, who does what he says. I, I don't know how to properly say it. Um, he doesn't preach theory. He walks the talk. From the time that the Lord called him to start a church 40 years ago that's a mission church that plants churches and gives to missions. And that vision, it's amazing just listening to him. The vision is as alive today, 40 years later, as it was. And everything is possible. And you know, and that walk has led around the world, 
Now, right now it's over 12,000 churches and still planting. And that vision, what I saw even in Smith, this vision is still alive today as it was in 1978 when the Lord said that to him. And that's a man I want to I wanna hear, I want to speak. And it's a privilege, Lincoln City Church, to have Dr. Rick Seward here with us today. Can we give him a hand as he gives us the word today? Amen. <laughs> Good morning. It's good to be back here again with you. It's been several years. I think it was 2013 was the last time we were here in the Midwest. We don't get too much to the Midwest, mostly the West, uh, but I see you're all still serving the Lord. <laughs> Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, thank you for sitting next to me. <laughs> Praise God. Well, we've had a, a good conference throughout these few days, and uh, I, we do still champion and push and live missions, and uh, I want to see the day where your church is celebrating, planning a hundred churches. Can you say amen? Amen. And I believe that's going to be sooner than later. It doesn't take long with some of the new things God has taught uh, the, his church in these last days on uh, multiplying church planting. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Isaiah, chapter 35. And uh, we're going to read verses 4 through 7. And then uh, we're also going to read Second Kings, chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. I want to share with you a word this morning entitled, God's Supernatural Supply for a World in Fear. God's supernatural supply for a world in fear. Today is your Mission Sunday, I think your second Mission Sunday. And uh, have they already got the cards? Some of them? Not yet? Is it okay if we pass them out now? Yeah. If the ushers could uh, pass, just give everyone a card again, even if you had one before, just to give everyone a card and give me a card just to look at and... Praise the Lord. Propel. I like that. Amen. Propel. And uh, missions is a lot of things, but uh, they're expressed. It's expressed and, and uh, comes about through the giving of our finance. Without the finance, nothing can happen. The love of money is evil, but money is not evil. Can you say amen? And without money, we can't accomplish the kingdom of God. Even Jesus had to get some money out of a fish's mouth to do what he needed to do. Praise the Lord. But in the book of Isaiah 35, 4 through 7, it says, Say to those who are fearful hearted, be strong, do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. And then the eyes of the blind will be open. The ear of the deaf will be unstopped. The lame man will leap like a deer and the tongue of the dumb sing. For waters shall burst out of the wilderness, streams in the desert. The parched ground will become a pool, and the thirsty land springs of water. Praise the Lord. Then going to Second Kings chapter 4, verse 1 through 7, A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophet cried out to Elisha, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord, and the creditor is coming 
to take my two sons to be his slaves. So Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. Then he said, go borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels. Do not gather just a few. And when you've come in, shut the door behind you and you and your sons then pour it into all those vessels and set aside the full ones. So she went from him, shut the door behind her and her sons, brought the vessels to her and she poured it out. Now it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her sons, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there's not another vessel. So the oil ceased. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go sell the oil, pay your debt, and you and your sons shall live on the rest. Father, we ask you this morning that your Holy Spirit will anoint your word as we share your word today. Anoint your servant. And Father, I ask you right now that you'll minister and speak to each and every one of our hearts. Your words of truth, your word of faith, in Jesus' name. Amen. As we read in Isaiah 35, uh, verses 4 through 7, we read of a situation in which your pastor was just mentioning. We know we are living in the last days. In fact, we're living in the last of the last days. The Apostle Paul said in 2 Timothy, you know, he said, know that in the last days there will be grievous times. What we saw in Las Vegas was, is, is an example of grievous times for no reason seemingly. Many people just slaughtered. And then there's ISIS and all that goes on with those people who have a reason, a wrong reason, but have a reason. And there's destruction. And today we see what Isaiah 35 verses 4 through 7 is talking about. We see a world that is full of fear. A world that is full of fear. He says in verse 4, they are of a fearful heart. Today we see fear at an epidemic level in every walk of life. Politically, there is fear. Financially, there is fear. There are more mental collapses. There are more heart attacks. There are more situations. People being traded for hypertensions. And in every angle and every way, there's fear of inflation. There's fear of recession. There's fear of deflate. There's fear of everything just remaining the same. In every market and context, there's some group fearing the situation. It's amazing. Today, the world is gripped with fear. Well, in the midst of this fear, what is God's plan and what is God's purpose for you and for me? What is God's purpose for the kingdom? He says there in verse 6 and 7, he says, uh, uh, Waters shall burst forth in the wilderness, streams in the desert, parched grounds will become a pool, and thirsty land springs of water. He says in the midst of this dismal picture that he painted there in verse 4, a world full of fear. First of all, he says, which we'll get to later, he's going to do some miracles. He says eyes will open, ears will be unstopped, lame man will leap his heart, the tongue, I'm going to do some miracles. But then he explains, and we'll get to the miracles later, because he says before the miracles happen, actually something is going to take place. Those miracles happen because something takes place. He says, in the midst of this world full of fear, people all around you that are full of different kinds of fear, water will break forth in the wilderness. Streams in the desert. The parched ground will become a pool 
and the thirsty land springs of water. He describes here in verse 7 four kinds of land, four kinds of soil condition that I believe represent the four kinds of people who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. First of all, he says, waters will burst forth in the wilderness. In the Hebrew, the word that's translated for wilderness, this particular Hebrew word, actually is describing good land. Good land, good potential, but just not used for anything. All right? It's kind of just like grazing land. There's a lot of potential in it. It's good, but it's just not used for anything. That's literally what that word in the Hebrew means. And it says water will break forth. Then it says streams in the desert. In the Hebrew, this word actually is describing land that is impossible to be used for anything. It's worthless. It's just impossible. Then he talks about the parched ground. In the Hebrew, that's actually the, coming from the word that means mirage. You, you know, when you've heard of the people dying of thirst and they're on the desert and they see a river out there, but it's not a river. It's a mirage. It looks like the real, but it's not the real. And then he talks about the thirsty land. And in the Hebrew, it's talking about the empty, something that is completely empty. And I believe, as I said, it describes the condition, the four types of unbelievers that we have in the world. First of all, there are the good people. They're good. They're moral. They're kind. Sometimes kinder than Christians. Hello? Huh? The good land. But they don't know Jesus and they're going to end up going to hell if they don't hear about Jesus Christ. Because the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It's not God's going to send them to hell. They're already on their way to hell because they're in sin. And that's why he sent Jesus to try to stop their decline into hell. And after Jesus left, he says, now I send you to do the same thing to spread the good news, to share the gospel, so that they don't end up having to go to hell because of their sin. So the first type of people are the good people. Good people, moral, upright, loving, kind. But they don't know Jesus. The second type of person is the desert land. Those are the impossible ones. Have you met some of those? It's like that's the last person that's ever going to come to Christ. And sometimes the good people are the hardest to come to Christ, actually. Because it's like, what is their need? You know, what is their need? And, and my wife doesn't really like my theology in this perspective. But when I meet those kind of people, I pray that God causes them to have a fatal need. You know, I say, God, create some kind of disaster in their situation where they need you. Amen. Where they recognize they need you. We already know they need him. But then there's the impossible ones. Saul of Tarsus was the impossible one. If the church had taken a vote on who's the next one to get saved, Saul would have got the lowest vote. Right? He was persecuting the Christians and putting them in prison. But Jesus had an encounter with Saul, amen, on the road to Damascus and turned him completely around. I remember uh, in, in an apartment complex my wife and I used to live in, uh, we'd go down to the the. the built apartment complex next door to us, building next door to us that had a coffee shop below. It was kind of an open air coffee shop. 
and uh, we'd have some tea and, or, and, and I'd drink a coffee. I don't like American coffee, but I like the local coffee there. And she'd have a cup of tea. And, and uh, there was this uh, one lady, there'd be a table full of men and this one lady that was just real loud. Have you ever met? Just real loud and, you know, everyone looks and turns and that person's talking and she was always with the men. We didn't know who her husband was till sometime later. And she was speaking in a dialect called Hokkien. That's one of the Chinese languages and, and uh, just crude. And, and it's like, wow, if, if we're going to get anyone saved in this area, she's going to be the last one. Well, as we prayed for our neighbors, as we believed God and led many of our neighbors to the Lord, do you know she was the first one that came to the Lord? <laughs> Amen. She was the first one that came to the Lord. One day we went down to the coffee shop. We hadn't seen her for a while and suddenly saw her as we were sitting outside, saw her husband pushing her in a wheelchair and she was missing a leg. Now, I didn't pray for her for the disaster, but uh, she had had her leg amputated, had uh, diabetes and it t- had gone gangrene and we were stunned and said, what happened? And, you know, I, I actually went on in and then I went in to find them and said, what happened? We'd never met before. And I thought she couldn't speak English, and she spoke perfect English, which surprised me. And, and then I told her, look, uh, here's my name, my number, my wife's name, her number. Anytime, 24 hours a day, if you need our help, just call us. And, and that just built the bridge and started the process, which in, in the end she got saved, her son got saved, and, and began to come to church. But here we have the impossible. Then we've got the third type, which is the parched ground, the mirage. These are those that I believe are in all the other religions. They are in a counterfeit. And their reason they're so religious is because they're searching. Don't feel like they're impossible. No, they're, they're wanting the true God, but they've got a counterfeit. They've got what they think is real, but it's not real. And then we have the fourth kind of land, which is the thirsty land, the empty those are, that's those who don't have anything. They're totally empty. And, and it reminds me, not now, but of several years ago, when Mao Zedong, who was heading up China in those days, tried to totally eradicate all of past culture and religion out of China. And eradicated it all, but he didn't know the church was still alive underground. And what happened was he left the people totally empty and did the greatest help to the church of Jesus Christ. Because as the Christians got bold and began to share about the Lord, everyone was empty. And it resulted in the greatest Christian revival. The church began to multiply. Today there are more born-again believers in China than any other nation in the world. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. But right now, anywhere you go in Lincoln... Anywhere you go in Nebraska, anywhere you go in America, North America, or any part of the world, and you meet someone who does not know Jesus, they will fit in one of these four categories. And do you know what the word of the Lord is? He's saying to you, they're full of fear. You've got to find out what their fear is. Build a bridge. Get to know, Find out what is the fear. They have a fear in their life. But the promise that God makes here is that He is going to change their situation. He says, the wilderness, I'm going to have water burst forth. 
It's not going to be that land, even though it's good potential land, it will be flooded. That desert land, that's impossible land, I'll have streams flow through. The parched ground, that mirage will come, become a real pool of water. And he says that thirsty land that is empty and without suddenly springs of water will spring forth. Hallelujah. Why? Now, it's interesting to note that the most common form of water, source of water, that we have on earth is rain. You've had rain this past week, right? Thank God it turned yesterday. I wondered where I'd come to. (laughs) But rain. But it's interesting, of these four sources of water, not one of them is rain. The second thing I want you to note is of these four sources, they actually all come from some source of existing water. He says waters will burst forth. Well, where did they come? They had to come somewhere to burst forth. Streams came from somewhere. The pool came up from an underground reservoir. The springs. There was some existing source of water, some existing reservoir of water that this water came forth to touch these four kinds of land. Today, every church, every house of God, every local body of believers, you are a reservoir of the water, life water of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. You have the living water. And each of you have the living water, but together you are a reservoir. And from each church, God is desiring that water will burst forth to the wilderness, form streams to the desert, make a pool in the par- where the parched ground is, and cause springs of water where the thirsty land is. Hallelujah. That's God's plan. That's God's purpose. And he says, my plan is that to each of these people, of these four kinds of sources of fear, I want to do a miracle for them. He says to us, he commands to us the church, say to them, who's he talking to? Us. Isaiah was talking, of course, to Israel, and now we are spiritual Israel. We take on everything that God had called and destined Israel for. And so God is speaking to us. This is a parallel command in the Old Testament to his command in the New Testament, go ye. You've heard of go ye, right? Go ye. This is the same command in a different word. Say to those that fear. You can't say to them that fear unless you go ye, right? And they're everywhere. And so it's that same command. And so as we look at this world desperate, full of fear, God commands us and says, say to them. What do we declare to them? Declare the truth of Jesus Christ. Declare that Jesus is their answer. Let them taste and touch and experience the power of God. You are anointed. Amen. And as you go forth with God's anointing and minister blessing to those people who are in fear, God says miracles will happen. He says eyes will be open. Not maybe, will be. Ears will be unstopped. Hallelujah. Everything will take place. If they need, if their tongue is dumb, they will sing. If they're lame, they will leap. Whatever their need is, a miracle will happen. Hallelujah. How and why? 
when we go to them and say to them, do not fear. Hallelujah. In other words, when we proclaim the truth of Jesus, the good news of Jesus, the declaration of what Jesus Christ came to do, God has chosen His church. God has chosen each and every one of us to go into all the world. Parallel command. Say to them who fear. They're all over the world. He said, beginning in Jerusalem, that's Lincoln. And into Judea, that's Nebraska. And into Samaria, that's North America. And then all the way to Siberia, to South Africa, to Chile, to Peru, to Argentina, to the uttermost parts of the world. It doesn't matter what anyone else is doing or not doing. You as a church have a responsibility. God is calling you to go. God is making you responsible. Well, how do, what do we say to them? How do we say to them? He says, say to them, how, how God, how do we do that? This is what missions is all about. We pray, we give, we go. Those are the three ways missions is enabled. That every one of us can be involved in doing. Every one of us can pray. He says, pray, pray. We pray to break the strongholds. We pray for the power of God to be present in every place. Amen. We pray for him to send forth laborers. We pray, we pray, we pray. And then we give, we give. The Apostle Paul said in Romans, there's a need out there. There's a preacher that needs to go and preach. If they don't hear the gospel, they won't, he, they won't change. They won't repent. But how is he to go unless he is sent? And so we give that others can be sent. We give so that there's finances to be able to set up and do whatever is needed to enable us, the church, to say to them who fear. Amen. And then we go. Some of us can't go at this moment to this nation or that nation. And we give and pray for others to go on our behalf. But every one of us can go right in Lincoln. Amen. And don't ever come to the pastor and say, God, Pastor Solo, God has called me to go to Uganda or called me to go to Ecuador if you haven't even gone to Lincoln yet. Hello. Are you hearing me? You go to Lincoln. You go to right where you are. Every one of us can go. And so we say, Lord, you said, you command me. Say to them, how do I say to them? By praying, by giving, by going. Hallelujah. Can you say amen? The the kind of thing that God is talking about in Isaiah 35 is not natural. Do you agree with me? It's supernatural. He's dealing with the supernatural. When he talks about the miracles, the eyes opening, the ears being unstopped, the layman leaping, the tongue singing, he's talking about miracles. When he's talking about the water bursting in the wilderness, streams in the desert, he's talking about supernatural, right? So we're not dealing with the natural. We're dealing with the supernatural, beyond the natural. And when we deal with the supernatural, we're actually moving from the natural realm into the spiritual realm. 
if we are going to see God's purposes fulfilled, if we are going to see lives changed around the world, if we are going to see Isaiah 35, 4 fulfilled, we've got to do it not in the natural. We've got to go and ascend into the supernatural realm. We've got to get into the spirit realm. And when it comes to praying, we've got to pray in the spirit, not just the natural. When it comes to giving, we've got to give in the spirit realm, not just the natural. That's giving by faith. That's how we get into the spirit realm. And when we go, we've got to go in the spirit realm, not just in the natural realm. Not when everything looks like it can be done and then finally we go. We go when it looks like it's impossible to go. Because that's the spirit realm. Can you say amen? And so the things God is dealing with is spirit things. A spiritual work. And a spiritual work requires faith to produce the miraculous. Whether it's in praying, whether it's in giving, or whether it's in going. Now I want to kind of shift gears now and just focus this morning on the giving aspect of missions. Because if we're going to give to missions to fulfill Isaiah 35, we've got to give in faith. We've got to give in the supernatural realm. We've got to exercise our faith. And each of you receive this card that says, My Missions Faith Pledge. I want you all to yell out the word that begins with F in those that phrase. Faith. Say, my faith. faith. All right. So it's not just a pledge. Hello? It's a missions faith pledge. There's many churches that give to missions. There's many believers that just give to missions. You you get your salary. You pay your bills. You've got $300 left over and you put $50 in the bag for missions. That's giving. It's not faith giving. You give $250. That's a lot, right? That's good. And it's great. It's great giving, but it's still not faith giving. You give $299. That's even better. But it's still not faith giving. Because every month you got $300. So to give $299 doesn't take faith, does it? It's there. You give $301. Does it take faith? Yes, it's what I call $1 faith. (laughs) How many of you can believe that somehow God can supernaturally provide you with $1? Do you believe that? Amen. You know what? We challenge our congregation. I challenge uh, our congregation in Singapore and our churches. I say when you make a missions faith pledge, there's two things I challenge every believer to do. Number one, it should be at least the same amount as your tithe, 10%. Why? Because if your tithe goes to run the church to reach Lincoln, how can I give less than that same amount to reach the whole world? Hello? Does it make sense? It's like, okay, God, I'm paying the tithe. I, I don't really have a choice, right? It already belongs to God. You don't give tithe. You pay tithe. So, God, I'm paying tithe, and it goes to run the church to reach Lincoln. Now, God, now you've told me to say to the world, to go to the world, to do my part. So now I'm going to give my mission offering, and and, and this 10% saves Lincoln, but I'll just give you 1% to save the world. 
Hello? Doesn't sound right. And, and even 10% doesn't sound right, but let's at least start there, right? 10%. Okay, God, I paid you your 10% to reach Lincoln. I'm going to give you another 10 at least to reach the world. The second thing we challenge our believers is you do your quick calculation what your income is, what your expenses are, and you've got to be honest with it. Don't fudge. Because when we do this kind of exercise, people like to make their expenses real high. So it benefits them. But be honest. What are those real expenses? And then what's the balance? And I challenge our people, especially those who have never made a pledge before, add $1 to that, and that's what your faith pledge can start at. $1 faith pledge. It's not a $1 pledge. It's 201 or 301 or 353 if your balance is 352. But it just takes $1 faith. Can you say amen? $1 faith. I'm going to share with you some stories and some illustrations later. And a lot of them are going to go back a few years. Because if I talked about this, the miracles now happening, it'd blow you out of the room because of the amount that my wife and I give to missions, you know. So I kind of want to go back and start small and help you to see how God works. But but just recently, in fact, I, I made a pledge. We had a missions faith pledge in our church, and I made a pledge. And it's like the very next week, someone came and gave me the exact amount of my pledge for that month. And then the next month, someone else gave me in another country the same amount. Are you Are you hearing me? Not half, not double, the same amount. And so you know over and over God is meeting the need. Because for me it's not one dollar faith, it's many dollars faith, alright? It goes beyond 50, 80, 100% of what the income is. We believe God and God always supplies. Are you hearing me? So we are making a faith pledge because God says to us we're to say to those that fear, and that involves us getting into the spirit realm, the supernatural realm, and praying and giving and going. Hallelujah. Now, what is the nature of God's supernatural supply? If we're in the spirit realm, if we're in the supernatural realm, and this is what God's wanting us to do, if making a faith pledge is something of the supernatural, what is the nature of that supernatural realm? And that's what I want to just look at for a few moments from the story we read in the book of 2 Kings chapter 4 and verse 1 through 7. As we read that story, just very quickly reviewing, remember, that there's a preacher, he dies and he leaves his wife and kids in debt. Now don't ever do that, preachers. That's a no-no. Okay, He wasn't very responsible. But anyways, but he was a good guy. He really loved the Lord. His wife told uh, Elisha, you, you know my, my, my husband feared the Lord. He just forgot the command about taking care of his family. <laughs> and so here now she's left with his big debt. And, and, and as it was in those days with the rules, the debt collectors could take her sons and they became the debt collector's slave until that debt was paid off. And so now she's a widow. If her sons are gone, now now what's she going to do? We, women didn't work in those days, you remember. that It was a different situation. And so she's just in Paris. She doesn't know what to do. And so as we look at that story, Elisha says to her, well, what do you have in the house? Says, well, I got this pot of oil, but... It's not going to do much good because how am I going to cook anything with the oil if I have no money to buy anything, right? 
I just got oil. And you know, if you fry oil, all you have is fried oil. <laughs> right? It's not going to go anywhere. And, and so Elisha gives her some instructions, tells her what to do. But what I want you to note in this story is at the end, the last verse we read, what does it say? Elisha said, go sell the oil, pay your debt, and you and your sons will live on the rest. The rest of her life she was taken care of. That's pretty good retirement, isn't it? Huh? Now, there's a whole nother sermon in there we won't get into, that if she had really listened to the prophet and gotten all the things she was supposed to do, she would have not just lived the rest of her life, she would have lived abundantly the rest of her life. But she kind of, you know, didn't follow through with everything he said. But she was taken care of. Do you think that's a miracle? Do you think the oil just continuing to pour pot after pot was a miracle? Yeah. So we're dealing with the supernatural. So in this story with the supernatural, I want you to note three things. First of all, circumstances that you are in now do not determine what you can do today. Are you hearing me? circumstances that you were in do not determine what you can do today. As you look at the lady, that woman, her past experience, her husband was God-fearing, but he was in debt. It looked like God had let them down, even though it wasn't God's fault, but that's how everyone always looks at it as a family. And it, everything looked hopeless. That was her past experience. Her present circumstance, she was in debt. Her sons were going to be slaves, and she only had one pot of oil. Her future circumstance was she had no source of income. She would have no family to support her. There was no future for her. So this was her past, present, future circumstance. But what did we read at the end in verse 7? She lived the rest of her life taken care of. So her present, her circumstance did not determine what was going to happen to her. Are you hearing me? The second thing I want you to note in this story is it's God who determines what you can do. Hello? It's not the circumstance you're in that will determine what you can do today. But it's God who can. Say can. Can determine. Okay? I didn't say will because He doesn't force His will on us. He can determine what you do today. He determines, rather, sorry, what you can do. God can do the supernatural. God can keep the oil flowing. God can cause that one pot to fill many pots. God can do, God can determine what you can do today. But the third thing I want you to see in that story is even though God determines what you can do, you will determine what you will do. All right? That's good and bad. <laughs> because God can determine you can do this, but today you can decide you will do this. And God's not going to slap you on the head. God's not, He's not going to force His will on you. But God determines each of us can do this, but whether we do that or not, is subject to what we decide. We determine what we can do. The woman did not know the whole plan. If she knew the whole plan, she would gather three times as many pots, right? And if you knew the whole plan, <laughs> you'd do a lot more than what you end up doing today. You see, that's what faith is about. 
We don't know the whole plan. She didn't know the whole plan. God never shows us the whole picture because He wants us to hear His rhema and that rhema causes us to step out on faith. We can't see it, we don't know it, but we believe that word and so we step out in faith. But this lady, this widow, did not listen carefully to what the prophet said. The prophet said, you and your sons, not just the sons, you and your sons, go borrow vessels from everywhere. All your neighbors do not gather just a few. She didn't go out and gather vessels. She sent her sons to gather the vessels. She didn't even know how many vessels there were. She asked her sons, okay, where's the next one? No, they're done. She didn't even know. Are you hearing me? So she, she saw God had planned this for her. She decided this what was going to happen by her response to God. Are you hearing me? And she lived the rest of her life, but not as abundantly as what God had actually planned for her. God determines what He can do. You decide what you will do. You see? And so, as we look at that story, we see she responded to her level of faith. And she did not make sure there were many more pots. She did step out in faith. She did pour out the one pot of oil she had. Hello? She stepped out. But she didn't stretch to the point that God had already determined that she could reach. And then there were no more pots. And then there was no more oil. Are you hearing me? I want to challenge you today. There's a world full of fear. I wish I could take you with me on a panorama, you know, one-minute trip all around the world and just zero in a couple seconds, nation after nation. Come down on the plane. I, I travel to so many nations, and every time I'm flying down into one of the cities and I overlook the city as I'm landing, there's always just such a burden that I get into that town many times. I like to just take time to walk up and down, especially I've never been to this city, the main road, and just look at the people and feel the place. And there's always a burden because there's so many lost souls, so many that don't know Jesus. And the Lord has said, as He said to His disciples and His disciples to theirs and now finally to us, I've done my part. I'm going back now to the Father Now you continue doing what I was doing. Now you move on out to the rest of the world. Let the whole world know. Let everyone who's in fear know. But to do that, we got to step out in faith. It takes the mission's faith pledge. And we trust God because as we make a faith pledge, our trust is not in the church, not in the pastor, not in Rick Seward, not in the sermon, but in God. And then we can claim the word that he is able to do abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. Hallelujah. He can do great things and he will do what you allow him to do. Hallelujah. I remember my my mother and father are the ones, they were missionaries to Singapore. They still are. And... uh, They taught me about giving. They taught me about paying tithes. They taught me about Missions Faith Pledge. They they started the first Missions Faith Pledge program of any church in Singapore. 
way back in the mid-60s and taught the people. And I remember hearing, I was five, six, seven years old, and I heard the first time and my heart was challenged. And I made a $5 a month pledge for that first six months. I got 20 cents a day for allowance. 20 cents a day. That was a long time ago. And the 20 cents went a little further than it would now, of course. And on Sunday, we were taught we had to put the whole 20 cents in the offering. So we were taught tithes and offering from day one, right? Because tithes was 14 cents. And we had to put the whole 20 cent coin in the offering. And so there was a, a dollar twenty left, right? And uh, as, as as we would take that dollar twenty and multiply by four, it's four eighty. And I made my first faith pledge of five dollars. And then I increased it to ten the next six months. And it shook. Even though they taught me faith pledge and faith, it shook my mother up. You know, the mother's always worried. <laughs> Rick, uh, I saw your pledge slip there for ten. You kind of doubled it. Uh, uh, how how are you going to pay it? Well, well, I heard Dad say God's going to supply. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and I can't remember all the times and seasons, but I'm sure God supplied through my parents a little. You know, and the next time, you know, I raised my pledge. And, and then I told my mom, I said, we lived, you know, we didn't have toilets in our house. We lived at the back of the church and they were outhouses. What do you call outhouses? No modern sanitation, just a bucket back there. And uh, it was kind of smelly and stinky and dirty. And, and uh, there were other people who lived in the building above. And it was shared toilets. And I said to my mom, you know what? I'll carry that bucket out every day and wash out the whole toilet and carry the bucket back in if you'll give me five bucks every month. <laughs> and she said, that's a deal. <laughs> <laughs> and I paid my pledge. And then I increased my pledge again and I went to my neighbors, Sri Lankan neighbors, and said, you know, you just lost your, your, your boy that used to sweep the garden. You don't have anyone now and I'll sweep your garden up if you'll give me $10 a month. That's a deal. It was less than what they'd been paying the guy. You know, he was a man, I'm a boy. And, and, I, I, and my, I heard my dad say, God will supernaturally give it or he'll find you a job or somewhere he will provide you the way. And I saw God blessing. And, and later... I, I went to college in America, and uh, I, I started young. I was about 15. I went to Pepperdine University in Los Angeles. My parents were home for furlough for a year, and then they went back, and I was on my own. I had a job at night. I was working in a kidney dialysis center where I would clean the whole place up during the night while it was closed down and get it all prepared so the next morning everything was nice and clean when the people came back in. And I remember one particular day, I had these extra bills that had come in that I had not anticipated. And I needed $300. And I didn't know where I was going to get it. I was making my faith pledge. I made a faith pledge to the church I belonged to while I was there going to college. And every month I would pay my faith pledge. And then this bill came in for $300. And I said, God, I don't know what I'm going to do. And I remember I was mopping, you know, with a big industrial mop. I was mopping the floor. I was right near one of the beds. And then I dropped the mop, dropped to my knees, just cry, just burst out in tears, put my hands on the bed and began crying and said, God, I don't know what to do. I need that money in two days. I don't know where the money's going to come. I've been doing everything you asked me to do, God. You've got to somehow supernaturally supply. The next day in my mailbox was a letter. And inside the letter when I opened it up was a check for $300 that had been posted eight days before. 
from outside the country. <laughs> Are you hearing me? Not for 290 not for 400 for $300. And nobody had known what was going on. I remember as I continued on in my next year and then I got another job and, and I went to a church that had a big school program, kindergarten and school during the week, Monday to Friday. And then on the weekends, you had to convert it from a school back to a church setting. And then Sunday night, you had to come back in and change it all up for the school again. It'd be like 13 hours on Saturday night and another seven hours on Sunday night to reconvert. And I remember one day I got home at 7 a.m., from cleaning up Saturday night, 7 a.m. Sunday morning, went home, and, and I thought, I'm just going to lay down five minutes, and then I'm going to get my bath. I love church. I, I w- would never miss church on Sunday. And when I woke up from my nap, it was 12.30. I felt horrible. I felt terrible. First of all, because I wanted to go to church. Secondly, I thought I was going to go to hell, you know. <laughs> and, and, and I said to the Lord, Lord, God, I don't want this to ever happen to me again. It cannot. Tonight, Lord, when I go to work, Sunday night, Saturday, there's a lot of people around, but every time I would go back there Sunday night, around 10 o'clock, their services had finished. No one was ever there. I had the keys. I'd go in. And I said, tonight, God, when I go there, I want you to have the pastor's wife. She was my boss. I want her to be there. And I'm going to tell her I'm quitting because I'm never going to let something stop me from going to church. And I went there that night, and sure enough, there she was. And I told her and explained to her. I said, you know, uh, I'll give you a couple of weeks to find someone, but I, I, don't want, I don't want to take that chance again. Now, that was my livelihood. That's, that's all the income I had just to support myself. I didn't know what I was going to do, but I just said, God, you've got to take care of me. And I'll never forget. I had been there a couple of years, a year and a half, and this had never happened before. But the next Sunday after service, the treasurer came to me and said, Rick, Someone put an offering in the, uh, an envelope in the offering and said, this is for Rick Seward and handed me the envelope with some money in it. Nobody, I hadn't told a soul what had happened to me. And a couple weeks later, I got another envelope. And a couple weeks later, another envelope. And it took care of me until two and a half months later, I finally was able to get another job and I never got another envelope. I thought when I got the job, well, this is great. I'm going to have two things. No, no, no. (laughs) The oil ceased. (laughs) But what I'm telling tell you, all that time I was giving my missions faith pledge, God never let me down. Never let me down. I could tell you so many stories. I remember years ago, that was way back in 1982, I had moved from giving amounts to giving percentages. And I was giving 50 and then 60. And finally, I was giving 85% of my salary. And there was just 15% left, I mean, after paying tithes. And that's what I gave to my wife for food, for household goods. And, and now it came to Missions Faith Pledge Sunday. And I'm praying, Lord, what do you want me to do? And God says, give the remaining 50, 15%. What? Lord, you know, and my wife's got a lot of faith these days, but in those days she didn't have as much faith. And I says, God, I'm not sure if I'm more scared of you or her, Lord. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Every Tuesday she came to me for the food money, household money. And I says, Lord, what am I going to say to her on Tuesday? And, and, you know, I are, but I know you can't disobey God. And so I said, okay, God. So I pledged the whole amount 
Tuesday, my wife came to me and said, uh, do, do you have the food money? I said, well, come to me tomorrow. <laughs> and, and I prayed and prayed that day, and by tomorrow, nothing had happened. And she came to me again, and I said, well, why, why don't you sit down a minute? I, I, need, I need to talk to you. And I said, well, here's what happened. God told me to pledge all of it. Let's agree in prayer right now that God is going to supply our need, that God will take care of us. Nobody knew what we had done. That next day, Thursday, my wife got a phone call from a lady in the church. She said, Sister Diane, uh, I'm down here at Cold Storage and Orchard Road. Could you come down? I've got some things I want to give you. So my wife drives down and comes back with two boxes of groceries. I mean, we ate ground beef. I bought her a book, 101 Ways to Cook Ground Beef. Literally, that's true, because we're the cheapest meat we could buy. She came home with steaks, and, and I'd heard preachers say p Christians can't eat pork or shrimp, but she came home with pork and shrimp from God. <laughs> and I mean, I didn't like fish. I grew up, and my parents, you know, uh, we had five kids, and they supported two churches, and we didn't have much, and, and the only fish I'd ever eaten was shark, because it was the cheapest fish you could buy, meat. And so they, she gave fish, and I told my wife, well, I really don't care for fish. And she said, well, let me cook it, and you try it. And then I ate it, and I go, wow. I didn't know I liked good fish. <laughs> I do like fish if it's good fish, you know. And then the next day, another lady in the church called my wife and said, could you come, to, uh, come down to the office? I have some things here I brought for you and there were household supplies and we've been making, you know, those in the tropics know you, you make powdered milk, right? You get powdered milk and mix the powder with the water and make milk and it was fresh milk. Fresh milk. I'd never had fresh milk in Singapore. It was too expensive. And that continued for months and months as God took care of our food need. Are you hearing me? I'm telling you, you cannot outgive God. I want to challenge you this morning. The world, Lincoln, Nebraska, the U.S., North America, and the nations all around the world are in fear today. The people are in fear. Different kinds of fear, different kinds of people. And God's command to every one of you as a part of Lincoln City Church is say to them who are in fear. And the only way this church is going to be able to say to them beyond praying and interceding and some going, they've, we've got to have the finance to do it. And I want to challenge you this morning to invest in missions. I want to challenge you this morning to not just make a pledge, but you make a faith pledge, to stretch your faith. Say, God, I'm going to believe you. I'm going to trust. I'm going to make the largest faith pledge I've ever made, Lord. But you hear the Word of God. That There's a kind of pledge I call an emotional pledge, and that's when you get all stirred up and emotional and just make this big pledge. We don't want emotional pledges. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. And if this morning you say, well, I, I, I just can't hear God. Then there's something wrong because Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. Sometimes we put cotton in our ears on Mission Faith Pledge Sunday. But this morning, take the cotton out and pray and say, God, what do you want me to do today?
and God will speak to you a word of faith. And as he speaks to you, I want you to step out in faith. You make that pledge. Even if you came today prepared with a pledge, but now God is saying to you, no, 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 I want you to increase that. Obey the Lord. Do what God is saying this morning because that's what's going to change the world. Amen. As we give supernaturally, we can expect supernatural results on the mission field. Can we bow our heads and close our eyes in a word of prayer? Father, I pray and ask you today, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will just speak to each and every one of our hearts. We want to hear your voice, Lord. We want to hear your rhema today, God. Speak. And Lord, even as Isaiah said, we want to respond, Lord. We will listen. We will obey. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. How about that? Is it better? Yeah, good. Good, good. I want us to stand and pray. But I tell you, we don't, um, uh, we don't have a lot of time to, to waste. I really do believe the Lord's coming soon. And many people need to be saved. And I, I, I tell you, um, Brother Rick, thank you for sharing. Thank you for coming and being with us. Come on, that's great. I want us to pray uh, also before we leave. And um, let's pray for Lincoln. Let's pray for Nebraska. Let's pray that that we can see revival um, around the cities near here. I I, I believe that there are people right now, you never even thought you were called to ministry. And you're going to be doing something uh, in Lancaster County. I said in Lancaster County. Amen. Lord Jesus, we thank you. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your word. I feel right now in his presence, just keep your eyes closed. The Lord's calling us actually to, to repent. It's not a bit dramatic or anything, but to really make a covenant in our hearts with the Lord. And sometimes we've taken for granted the things of God. Things have been very good for us in the U.S. Um, uh, live outside, you'll know. And we take some things for granted of the goodness of God and what's been given to us. But also of the things of God and who he is. And taking him lightly. And right now I just want us to take a few moments. And just begin to ask the Lord to forgive us. Where we haven't. Maybe we've been lax. Been lazy. Or just taken for granted. What's been given to us by him. <clears throat> take a moment right in your seat. Just begin to pray. Ask the Lord. Let it out. Let it out. Let it out. <clears throat> to him. Thank you Lord.
Lord, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. You said your grace is sufficient for us. Your strength is made perfect even at our place of weakness. And God, I, we repent today. We ask, Lord, that you would forgive us where we have not played our role to say to those who are in fear. And sometimes we have been, even though we have your son in our hearts, we've acted like those who have fear. And today I pray in the name of Jesus, I rebuke the spirit of fear in the church. Because God, you have not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and soundness of mind. And I pray right now against a spirit of fear. Fear of a sickness, fear of a terrorist, fear of a disease, fear of a finances, fear of commitment, fear to go. We reject the spirit of fear because it's not of God. And I speak right now for faith to be imparted into the heart of every believer. Those that are worried about retirement, worried about bills, worried about this and that. I pray right now, be liberated by the power and the authority of God's word in the name of Jesus. That we are not a people of fear, but a people of faith in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We give you praise on the earth. We ask that you move in our city, you move in our state, you move in our nation. And you move on the earth in this generation, we pray. Today, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on the earth, Lord, today as it is in heaven. We thank you and we praise your name in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's.